Yo, 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 what's good, everybody? It's Big Game James, my dog DDP. You know what it is, Positively Relentless, episode 16. Y'all get up in the building, you know how it is. And I'm going to just break this. I'm going to do this quick disclaimer. Let me just let the disclaimer know. Let me let this disclaimer know that we're going to talk a little bit of that Cowboys football here in the beginning. Some little stuff happened, but we threw off this 88 throwbacks mad throwdown man it was a good stuff and we're gonna be talking about that so all you football peers jumping here and we ain't talking about some basketball right now we ain't talking about things y'all go ahead and leave the building when we jump in and start talking this basketball later because we still gonna talk about it whether you like it or not so let me just let you know that right now so don't get in your feelings but what's up my dog ddp what's good with you baby man just dealing with the same old shit that's what it feels like but you know mm-hmm. what it's all mindset. It's all mindset. So I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go through this with a smile. We're gonna feel off the good vibes, and we're gonna just gonna ride that train. Yeah, man. I, I need alcohol. Where's it at? Ah, <laughs> see, you Too know, late. we had some good conversations after uh, before we got on here, y'all. So we actually should have got this good the the good stuff in the background, like the the pre stuff. We should have recorded it because y'all actually would have loved that. That was some good behind the scenes stuff. But you know what? We both going through the same thing, y'all. But we ain't gonna tell you. But it's not bad. It's bad, but it's not bad. But it's it's it could it's gonna be good here in a little bit. But that's what we are gonna pray. But you know what? Let's jump right in here. Well, so let's get some few shout outs to me right right quick, big dog. You know what I'm saying? I'm you give you shout outs. So I'm gonna say Matt. Is it Matt for Matt? Matt for Madman's what I think he's going for. Okay, I'm gonna go with that too. Steve Smooth TV, what's up with you? Big DZ83, NFZ, Carlos, you know what it is. My dog Los Montana 808. KG, what's up with your dog? Marvin Hargrove scene. You know how we do. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? And that's what I love. This is my dog. <clears throat> DDP Los. He says, I'm staying regardless. You feel me? I don't care if you talk football, basketball, hockey, whatever. I'm here regardless. That's my dog. You feel me? You know what I'm saying? But let's jump in there. Pee-wee's talking. And then even Los says, you know, what do you think about Michael Gallup? Because we can talk about that right quick because you yeah. had it right here on Michael Gallup on the PUP. Now, mm-hmm. we talked about it yesterday on the final word, DDP. Now, here's my spin on it because I want to hear your spill on it right quick. My spin on it was activating Michael Gallup. I think one of the things is that they want to let everybody know that we was right and what we were saying with Michael Gallup. I told you he was going to be able to play. If they would have had him like on the, you know, pup list and wouldn't be able to be activated for four to six games, mm-hmm. everybody been like, see, they don't want to look wrong. So I feel like that's one of the reasons why they did it because he wasn't looking great when he was looking in his workouts and things of that nature. And then number two, I'm feeling like they're going to look at the roster and see who they have opposite CD Lamb and see if the semi Fajokos, if the Jalen Tolberts, if the, you know, uh, Kevante Turpins, mm-hmm. um, um, the Dennis Houstons, if those guys can actually do something. If they don't, then that's when I feel like they're going to be pushing Gallup quicker and quicker to try to get in there in that lineup. So hopefully does, things don't go bad with that. But what's your kind of thoughts on that Michael Gallup thing? Uh, I mean, so they're saying he's, you know, they're projecting him to come back sooner than five games. I think there's, like you said, a couple reasons for that. I, I do think that he's he's probably a little bit ahead of where they projected him, but I absolutely think it's also because they feel that pressure right now with the receiving core. They know that they're a CD Lamb injury away from being just completely inexperienced, like complete drop off to where it's it's you know a sizable downgrade your weakest unit arguably at that point now you've got interesting players there but you have guys that are interesting if they're chipping in you if you got to play them heavy and you got to put all of your dependency on them then you feel incredibly different about it so with Gallup, i think this is something where it's a way to say like like you said like look yes we were we were right to invest in him because look he's coming back from this injury even faster now to be fair that is a lot faster than I thought at the time in the offseason. I did not think he would be back this early because of when he suffered that injury in the, uh, at the end of last year. But I think it's it's kind of a, a low-risk thing because it gives the impression of like, all right, yeah, we're right. And now if it takes a little longer, then it's just like, oh, well, we're just getting him right. Like I don't think they're going to put him at health risk, but I think that they want the appearance that everything is on the up and up and that they want to have him available if he can be 
But in the meantime, they're just going to signal like, yeah, no, totally. He's totally going to be ready. In fact, he's going to be ready early. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Bro, that's you know that's what it is. I mean, that's what I feel like it is in my heart. You hit it on the nail, too, and I feel like you feel that it's the same thing. That That's just what it is. Like, um, you know, they're having the appearance. Um, you know, y'all saw him on the bands. Y'all saw him running. Did you notice how they had that on first take, I believe? They mm -hmm. showed the highlights of him running on the bands. And they always want to have the appearance of, see, he's okay. We told you he was yeah. all right. He got the surgery. Everything's okay. But when I look at these other guys' injuries, like I said, Blake Jarwin had the same injury. He did his in week one of 2020, bro. He missed a whole season and mm -hmm. didn't even start doing anything. You know what I mean? And then, then you had Tristan Hill, who did it like week three or week four, and he didn't come back till midseason. Now, I yeah. know everybody's different, but as I said before, Michael Gallup doesn't heal from his injuries fast. And when I saw him running, he didn't look like he could turn on that and just do whatever he wanted. It's a receiver. He's going to be running on that daggone knee all the time. If that, if that thing is not right, he could easily buckle and just tear it all up again. So I hope they don't try to do that thing in Russia, DDP. And, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it's chill, definitely go ahead definitely possible i mean especially when you consider he was the deep ball threat he was the the kind of jump ball guy um more so body control i guess than jump ball but he was the deep threat and so you're going full speed um and, and having to win on these deep routes what works for him that could still find some productivity even if his uh deep ball i guess proficiency drops off a little bit is his body control particularly around the end zone around the sidelines like he is masterful in that like that's one of those things with like the double toe tap is his specialty essentially even on the play he got hurt was a phenomenal play uh against arizona to pull in that touchdown so yeah it's it's uh definitely concerning you don't want them to push him too hard it is something that like you said when he's been dinged up before he hasn't come back quick so for him coming back from now a major surgery pretty quick is uh, certainly uncharacteristic so I don't know. Um, ultimately, I'm hopeful, but I'm also thinking this is more of showing optimism while knowing it might not be ahead of schedule like you're projecting. It might be a more conservative thing where it is week six, seven, something like that. And ultimately, like, yeah, this team is thin at receiver. They need help. But I would rather have him good to go when he comes back instead of rushing him early and then you loot like you just signed him to a new deal you don't need him getting dinged up or tearing it up again and now you're like well pff, we got essentially one game of michael gallup before he went down with another injury like another major injury so you got to be smart about it and I, that's why i feel like this is just posturing and nothing else yeah well let's hope so and let's hope uh actually let's just hope that the dennis houston's the semi fajocos they step up um, this is what they drafted them for, right? Or what they picked up those guys for. Uh, so now it's time to show. They're putting all their chips on. In, in, they're pushing all their chips in DDP on the young players. Um, they re-signed. I think they uh, put Carlos Watkins back on the practice squad, but they made sure they kept Ridgeway. So they're pushing the whole um, chips in on the young player thing. So, you know, we'll kind of see with that. But one thing we got to talk about, we talked about it last time, you know, Tyron Smith, you know, getting injured, tearing the hamstring. And we we went back and forth on that as far as the, you know, why didn't they do this and why didn't do that? Now we hear DDP, Jason Peters, old Philadelphia guy who we, we had many wars against, many wars against. Yep. And he's been a dog for a long time, but he's not that guy anymore. But he had a season with the Bears. He played 15 games. I just actually looked at the tape from Brandon Thorne. He still looked like I ain't saying he had it. I'm not even geeked up about it. But what I will say is this on my opinion of it before I, you know, I asked you, you know, how you feel about it is mm -hmm. Jason Peters, 40 years old. Um, you really don't want to put that rookie out there with a high, uh, a high ankle sprain, uh, no reps at tackle, Tyler Smith. Um, that would be the smart thing to do. He already knows the game, his technique is flawless. He's still a big guy that can save your rookie. Um, I wonder if you put Tyler Smith at the guard or do you rest him, keep Connor McGovern at the guard? If you were to sign a Jason Peters, start him at the tackle, give um, Tyler Smith a few more, what we say, uh, rest on the ankle mm -hmm. and then put him at tackle because I kind of feel DDP, if you're already going to have him at tackle now and Tyron Smith is out, just go ahead and just put him there now. Just forget the guard thing. Just put Connor McGovern there because you got Matt 
Farniak, who can play guard as well. Mm-hmm. Just if you have Peters there, let him get acclimated with that and then just throw him out there. Why not? You do that with other rookies in the NFL, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, as far as the, the potential acquisition of Peters, even at 40, like you said, he was still reasonably productive for the Bears. He had some good tape and everything. He's very crafty, still competent for sure, and, and way more entertaining than um, like a, a better fit then oh god who is that guy from the jets uh chuma chuma yeah 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 Yeah. i know you're talking about i don't don't know how to say that damn name i'm not going to infinitely a better option than than chuma um so am i am i interested in that yeah Uh, i think it's a great insurance policy honestly like you you probably would still put smith at your at your tackle position but if you do have struggles there, whether it's growing pains or whatever, then I think Peters is a great insurance policy. I do I think you would be better, like in terms of like day one from the jump. Do I think you would be better off having Smith at guard and Peters starting? I I think so, but I think they also are more geared towards. Um, like you said, just kind of hitting the ground running with Smith. Like, okay, set the pretense aside. This was always kind of this idea of an experiment, like a one or two year top thing with him at guard. The idea has always been that he's going to move to left tackle, heir apparent to Tyron. We get that. I think if that's the case, they probably go that way and just say, okay, we're going to do trial by fire here. And you, even if you have some growing pains, we're just going to have to deal with it. But if it's a total dumpster fire, like if it's for some reason a lot of penalties and him letting Dak get killed or something like that, then I think Peters is a perfect uh, backup option there where you're like, okay, well, here you go. You have the crafty veteran. You got the guy that can, you know, has, has done it for a long, long time and has played at a very, very high level, multiple, multiple time pro bowler and all that. Uh, you got the pedigree and you got a guy that's still crafty and effective even at 40, even if he's, his best days are behind him. What matters is you make a very... I think a savvy addition, honestly, like I, I, I am pleased with, uh, with the look, I, I had to look at some of the tape admittedly. Cause I, I wasn't super familiar with what he did last year with Chicago. So I was like, all right, how much does he still have? But right, right. kind of looking into it, I'm like, okay, you know, for the, for the price. And it, it's such a, a low risk thing to me. It makes total sense. And I'm on board. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm on board with it. You can't be mad at a veteran. Like you said, it's savvy. He's a savvy, crafty veteran. And that can't do anything but help your line because your line really is right now is a different line than it used to be, right? Mm-hmm. You have a Terrence Steele who's a first-year full full starter. Uh, you have your Stallworth and Zach Martin, but you still have Tyler Beatish, who you're still wondering what he is. Is he going yeah. to be able to uh, trend up? Uh, everybody had a fit with uh, Connor McGovern at left guard and is still crying the blues about him. Um, I think he's going to do a lot better than people think. Stay with me on that, Connor McGovern. Um, so I would think it would be a good fit. Yes, there's the age, but like I said, like you said, he's savvy. He needs a veteran. He's crafty. Um, he has really good techniques, so he knows how to play the game. And if you're really letting your, your first round uh, draft pick really say, let's commit to him playing this tackle position. Now let's just commit to it. Um, and let him get his rest. And then I said, just like I said, let's have some growing pains. And if you keep a Peters on maybe a one or two, two uh, one year deal, possibly, mm-hmm. if something happens with Tyler Smith, you still have a fallback guy and a veteran guy like that. So I think it's good. And one last thing I'm kind of, kind of head on this, um, as far as the Cowboys go, DDP. Yeah. Um, you know, the Cowboys have their 53 man roster that has some cuts. I don't know if you actually got to check that out in depthly. I saw um, we had one quarterback and no kickers. Right. So this is this is what I was going to show you, because they have the full um, practice squad roster um, together now. And um, I don't think it, I think it's a good um, um, a roster. I'm going to run it off to you. And there's some guys on here that we were talking about on the final word that got cut. And we we're like, why did that happen? We were frustrated. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, but Malik Davis running back from Florida undrafted. I, that was, I think that was a great pickup. Yeah. Yeah. They kept Cooper Rush. They kept Will Greer. So I think that's going to be your number two and number three. I like Will uh, yeah, Greer. Yeah, I'm done with the I'm done with the Cooper Rush thing. But yeah, Greer, whatever, fine. If you want to, if you want a quarterback, you think you can develop into a decent backup, sure. Right, that's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm done with it too. But that's just sure. to say, you got your two and yeah. three 
quarterbacks, right? Yeah. Um, I think the big guy, big name in our opinion was uh, Avante Collins was the offensive tackle. He was the right offensive tackle. He definitely had played better than their draft pick in Josh Ball and um, Matt Waletsko. Um, and we were a lot real frustrated on the show that he got cut, but he cleared waivers. He's back. So that's a great that's good. Yeah. Tyler Coyle, I thought was a good defensive back from Indiana. I think he's a, a you know good special teams player. Uh, Sean McEwen, you know they kept make sure they kept the tight ends. Um, Hendershot yeah. and Ferguson. I liked, I liked what I saw from Hendershot. Right, right, right. Those two are nice. And uh, Brett Maher is on here. Um, mm-hmm. Alec Lindstrom is a lot of people liked him. The center out of Boston College, he's able to bring come back. Um, Mike Tafua, he's a defensive lineman. I like him. He's got some juice. I don't know if he's out of Oregon um, right I now. So. Some, I think some, somebody let me know, but he's got Sounds some right. juice. Yeah. And uh, Malik Jefferson, hey, you know, Texas boy, uh, we like what he did. We were kind of frustrated with Luke Gifford being over there, but we get it. So he came back. Carlos Watkins was a big addition because of – they were like keeping Ridgeway, and you're like, hey, he's a rookie. So they were to get Carlos Watkins back. He's probably going to be the starter. And then you put Ridgeway on the practice squad. Yeah. And then Isaac Alicorn, the Mexican offensive lineman, I believe, um, he's back. And, you know, he's still continuing to get work, but it's good for him to stay on the roster and see what he can do possibly later on. So that's kind of my thoughts on it. So just yeah. kind of finishing that out, what do you kind of think about the 53-man roster and just the guys I spoke of? I mean, obviously, they they made the choices they made knowing that there's going to be future moves to come. Like you got one quarterback, you got no kickers. Like there's there's moves they're going to have to make looking through the waiver wire. Uh, I don't know. It seems like they didn't find a whole lot they were looking for from the waiver wire. They still got some holes to definitely address. But uh, other than the fact that I'm still concerned about the kicker situation, I'm not. I get that Maher was better last year. I, I get it. It's not the Maher that we saw previously with Dallas. At least last year wasn't. But I'm still very reluctant to put a lot of stock uh, in that. And I feel like that's going to cost Dallas a game or two early on in the year. Um, bouncing off what Carlos says there in the chat. Uh, love the the talent at the tight end position right now. They've, they've got a couple guys. Um, very, very intriguing. And I feel like we've had such a log jam for so long at that position. You know, I, I know we had the last couple of years uh, kind of the two-headed monster, although Jarwin's injuries never really let it be that. But I, I do like the the depth you've got at that position now, especially if your receiving core isn't everything that you necessarily would hope it would be right now. Like there's there's interesting prospects there, but it's not as established. I think having that extra depth and talent at tight end certainly is a good thing gives you a little bit more oomph in the passing game if you need it gives you that good oomph and like you said i think that's the biggest thing that i'm excited about if i would have an excitement about the offense because the defense itself i feel like i've already liked the defense i liked how they have quinn as the defensive coordinator like Mm -hmm. i said i always thought he was a better defensive coordinator than a head coach that's just my opinion and he can really just divil into it and just focus on one thing and i feel like that defense is going to be in year two even better especially with the additions that you have in the uh draft um, and Sam Williams, I think that's a good addition. Michael Parsons, year two. Jabril Cox looked really good in the preseason. Yeah. And that kid, um, Deron Bland, um, he, he could be somebody over with Fresno State, man. He's big and he's physical, so he could be somebody as well. So that defense could be really crazy, especially the secondary, the, the safety position. It could be really crazy. I think the one thing that I'm excited on the offense is that tight end position, just mm-hmm. like we were talking about. Uh, you know Dalton Schultz. Uh, what he did, and he's probably going to be Dak Prescott's security blanket. But those guys in Hendershot and Ferguson didn't look like the lights were too big for him um, in the preseason. And, you know, obviously you'll have your w- rookie things, uh, but it looks like the, it's, the, the scene is not going to be too big for those tight ends. So I really think they can kind of mold those guys into something. And hopefully, mm-hmm. you know, Dak can get some good rapport with them. And, and you know, they can do some things because we know – DDP, how much the Cowboys liked that 12 personnel last year and how successful it was in a short time with Dalton Schultz and Blake Jordan when he was healthy. So I know they're going to try to incorporate that until they figure out who that number two is until Michael Gallup comes back and possibly James Washington. We'll see. So that's just our kind of thoughts on that. We'll see yeah. what the Cowboys do. Um, the regular season's getting is right around the corner. We'll be talking more about that as we go. Uh, but now 
we're going to jump into some other things because me and you in particular, we have been trying to start this series and some things have just been kind of happening to us. Um, but I want you to kind of jump on this and I'm going to kind of flow off you because I like how you got information because I was actually watching this game. I watched this series. Feel yeah. me? Um, I watched all these series uh, leading up to this. Um, just to talk about this, it's that throwback throwdown 1988 Western Conference Finals. Go ahead, DDP, because I want to just jump in there and tell you what I used to watch with it. Yeah, so uh, I, I had to do a little bit of research for this. I was I was not present uh, to watch these games, but this is uh, this is going to be something. Obviously, we're in the the slow period right now, off season for the Mavericks and everything. So we're going to do this, and it's not necessarily exclusively Mavericks. This kind of segment top topic. Uh, but this is the throwback throwdown. It's basically our version of the Wayback Machine. And we wanted to take a look at a memorable Mavericks team that these days doesn't really get talked about enough. Obviously, you go back to 1988. It, it's just a lot of current fans, you know, fans that came in with Dirk, Nash, Finley, if, if they a little earlier than that, the, the three J's experiment. And that's going to be certainly something we talk about at some point. Didn't really have as much familiarity with uh these mavericks these mavericks that still had the primary green uniforms which i still dig by the way i i don't i don't think there's enough use of green in the the more recent color scheme even when they do some of their alternates so we wanted to take a look at that because what made this team so unique was the fact that they took the not only reigning champion lakers to seven games in the western conference finals but it's a Lakers team that had Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, James Worthy, whole, whole host uh, of just monsters on that team. Like, I think five Hall of Famers, phenomenally stacked team. And Dallas took them to seven. It was the Mavericks' first appearance in the Western Conference Finals. And it was really the fourth quarter of Game 7 where L.A. just kind of pulled away. It was Magic Johnson just kind of doing enough to pull away, uh, help the Lakers pull away in that series. But it was right there. So it just something I wanted to look at because I'm not as familiar, like from obviously a viewing thing. I've seen highlights and I've, I've read about these guys, but I hadn't seen as much from like Roy Tarpley, um, hadn't seen as much from uh, Blackman and these guys. Aguirre, obviously, I'm a little more familiar with just from the, the scoring prowess and everything, but... I wanted to do a deep dive of this and so this seemed like the perfect time to do it something to something to dig into so you watching it at the time what were what were your thoughts of this mavericks team because i know that they had a really rough go of it the year before the year before they were the two seed and they got beat in the first round by the seven seed i'm trying to remember who it was the seven seed that took them down but i'm pretty sure it's the first time uh the first time that a two seed lost to a seven seed, or maybe the second time that happened. Pretty, um, pretty brutal Sonics. result. Seattle, Seattle Sonics, Sonics. You're right. Yes. Mm -hmm. Sonics beat them as the seven seed when Dallas was the two seed. And it was really a make or break thing. So what, what were your thoughts uh, kind of heading into that next season? Did it, did it feel like, uh, you know, difficult to kind of buy in to this team, especially, when it was a little unconventional for the time with its roster construction and everything and coming off such a disappointing first round exit. I don't, I don't believe so. I think a lot of us were frustrated uh, because it was felt like the Mavericks were climbing. They were getting the roster that you wanted. You had your Derek Harper, you had your Orlando Blackman, you had your Mark Aguirre, you had a, your big man center in James Donaldson. You had a young deadless shrimp, you know, you had a veteran in a Brad Davis. Roy Tarpley was your sixth man was just six uh, man of the year. I, I, year. Yeah. I, I absolutely, absolutely dominant. And be, before the things, obviously the off, off the, off the, um, you know, court things actually kind of yeah. befalled him. Um, but before that time, because he, he he just was absolutely a dog. You just were excited. But I think that nobody was really tripping. People were frustrated, but you saw you still had a team. So it wasn't it was almost like, OK, we lost that, but we got to go harder next year because we feel like we have the team. So kind of one of those things where that was a blip in a row. We're disappointed, but we still feel like we had the team and that's not going to happen again. And I think mm -hmm. that was the mindset coming into 88. Like they weren't going to let that with that that upset that that was going to happen again. And, you know, it was exciting um, because, like I said, you had all you had everything you needed to really come after the Lakers because the Lakers were the champions last year and they were looking to repeat. And so when you saw in, in the playoffs, uh, those uh, 
when they came into the playoffs that season, um, you were like, it wasn't looking past the other teams, DDP, but mm-hmm. it was almost like we want the Lakers. It was kind of like the Philadelphia Eagles when they're like the Dallas Cowboys. We want Dallas. Unfortunately, it, like- it kind of went a little similarly there in the end. But <laughs> yeah. So, understand. well, what's interesting about that too is the Lakers beat Dallas in the playoffs like three out of five years right. leading into that. So, right. like, and, and, and when and, I say three and, out of five years, I don't mean Dallas got them twice. No, I mean like they beat Dallas all three times in the ramp up to that. So Dallas had history with them in the postseason. They were familiar with them, but Dallas hadn't gotten over the hump. Like I said, they had never made it to the Western conference finals, had never beaten LA, which was, you know, the pretty much King of the Western conference at the time. So it was, it was really a team that had a lot to prove. And even though they were the two seed the year before, like 55 or 57 wins, something like that, it, it fell flat. They got beaten four games and keep in mind, this is when the first round was a best of five series. So they got handily beaten uh, by the Sonics in that opening round. And it could have, it could have fractured the team. You know, there's one of two ways you go after something like that. Sometimes teams like really fortify themselves around it and they kind of find that new resolve and focus and they come back and they go further getting completely over the hump or Sometimes they kind of fall apart, you know, Uh, think back NCAA tournament, uh, Virginia, first one seed ever to get bounced by a 16 seed. And then the next year they go and almost the exact same Virginia team goes and wins the championship. Like Mm -hmm. that's that's as extreme an example as you can find, really. So a thing that could have destroyed that team and the chemistry and just ruined all those guys for any real postseason success. Instead, they they allowed it to kind of fortify them. Dallas kind of did the same thing here because Dallas, they're the three seed. They're tied with Denver record wise, but Denver uh, wins the Midwest division. And so Denver's the two seed. But Dallas still hanging right there in the thick of things. Dallas then getting to that. Uh, they beat Houston. I see East Side in here. So they beat Houston uh, in the first round. And then in the second round, Dallas beats the the Nuggets, who are the two seed in six games. And they set up this matchup with the Lakers. The Lakers, meanwhile, now this actually stunned me. This is just a, an interesting fact here because I, I can't fathom this uh, with, with, I guess, modern basketball. So the Lakers in the opening round swept San Antonio. San Antonio was 20 games under 500 and made the playoffs. That breaks my brain. Like I had to look at three different sources to tell me I wasn't like crazy. I was like, that's gotta be a typo. No. Okay. What about this one? Not a typo. I I don't believe you. I still don't believe you. Then I I found it somewhere else. I was like, okay, fine. All right. I hope you swept a team 20 games under 500. Why were they there? Right. But, uh, what's interesting for LA is that team. I mean, again, we talked about it, five hall of famers, you got a team that, um, you know, all-time greats across the board. Obviously, Magic, one of the greatest point guards. Some would still argue the greatest point guard ever. Um, the the pedigree that team had, not just as reigning champions, but L.A. was playing in its NBA record at the time, 16th postseason Game 7. They had all of the experience going into that matchup, all the reason to believe they would not blink. Meanwhile, Dallas had never been to the West Finals. Dallas was still trying to prove something off the heels of the previous year, getting bounced in the first round in four games. Like they had everything, this chip on their shoulder, but that also made them dangerous in some ways. You got nothing to lose. Everyone expects you to to get beaten by LA in that series. And I don't think there's any chance LA thought this Dallas team was going to push them to seven. I, I think even at the half of game seven, it's a one point game. And LA is kind of like looking around like, why haven't we put this away yet? And then it just takes kind of magic taking over in the second half uh, for, for that to happen. But it's a, it's an incredible thing. The home team wins every game in the series. So Dallas holds home court against the reigning champion, takes them to seven. LA had to go to seven games in every series, except the first round where they swept uh, San Antonio. Like that team was battle tested and Dallas stared him down and basically said we're going to take everything you've got and you're going to have to play your absolute best if you're going to knock us out they did but you got to love the spirit from dallas you got to love the fight and resolve it's a shame that that team never actually got over the hump like to the finals the first franchise birth for the finals 
Yeah, what's so crazy about it, it was like that after losing that kind of series, it was kind of like the beginning of the end for that team. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it was like they had been building that team up almost not like really to uh, get the Lakers, but almost really like to get the Lakers. Like they were putting everything together uh, to kind of beat those Lakers because they were the Lakers were the guys in the 80s. It was Lakers Celtics. Those were the two teams that were battling each Pistons year were, for the final. Were there Pistons for a while were, too in the were, East, yeah. Pistons, yes, we had Pistons were making that come up. You know, you had the Isaiah, the Joe Dumars, the uh, Benny Johnsons, the, you know, we know the, those guys of the world. Uh, but it was really in those early 80s, it was Lakers Celtics. Pistons start coming in in those mid 80s and started doing something. But that's mm -hmm. when the Mavericks had that chance to really put that kind of that slice in the middle where you where it was Lakers, Lakers, Lakers. Oh, Mavericks, 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 Lakers, Lakers. Lakers. You know what I mean? They, they could have yeah. had that little part where they could have did that. Um, because if you saw when they were playing in the playoffs, I think it was 84, they ended in 86 and then 88. Each mm -hmm. year it was 4-1, then it was 4-2, and then yep. the last time it was 4-3. So each time they got better with it and started to really understand Just the Lakers. one more. Just you one know more what I mean? <laughs> really, what, what, what the Mavericks felt, and when, when you listen to a lot of the interviews afterwards and what I felt when I saw the game was, dang, you wish you had that last game seven in Dallas because yeah. Dallas was a whole different team when they played at home. The confidence, mm -hmm. the, the the arena was crazy. The atmosphere was crazy. You know what I mean? And because really it was the second game the Lakers blew out the Mavericks. But that first game, Dallas was battling with them. So I feel like that gave them that confidence. Then, of course, you know how it is when Lakers like, oh, okay, we didn't think that was coming. Then they were the Lakers. Then it was kind of like I felt like, and they even said themselves, they kind of felt like – Maybe Kuz controlled that third game, mm -hmm. and then the you know the Mavericks kind of put it to him, and that gave the Mavericks confidence that we already felt we could beat you. Now we beat you handily in this game. We can come back and do it. And like I said, one of the standouts to me, I just can't say it enough because I actually got to see him in Michigan because I was out here in Ohio at the time. Was Roy Tarpley? He was a monster, and I forgot to mention Sam Perkins. I can't remember. Yeah, Perkins. Remember, forgot I can Sam Perkins because Sam Perkins was a dog with the Mavericks back in the day. He was a young Sam Perkins. You know what I mean? Sam Perkins played in the league a long time and was a beast. You feel me? But Roy yeah. Tarpley at that time, 23 years old, man, he averaged, what, 15.9 points a game, 13 rebounds, 2.1 yep. blocks. He had two 20-rebound two games, and he was just controlling the board. They could not stop him. And obviously, you know, you had Kareem. You had Michael Thompson, who was a good defensive player. James good Worthy. Defensive center. James Worthy. He wasn't really the defensive guy, but they had A.C. Green. No, but I, I just Green. the prowess, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so Green, on the defensive, um, you know, defensive side, those guys were the guys that were rotating, trying to stop Tarpley, and Tarpley was just manhandling them. And then Rolando Blackman, the Rolando Blackman, Mark uh Mark Aguirre combination because Aguirre Derek was doing Harper, his thing. Derek Brad Harper Davis. was your steady point yep. guard. Detlef Shrimp was your young, uh, young, your young guy coming off the bench. He wasn't, he really kind of struggled a little bit in that series, mm -hmm. but he still was a threat uh coming off that bench when you got a six foot ten do everything type player that can score any different uh, mad different ways. You feel me? Oh yeah. I mean the the Mavericks, they were they were very deep at every position. Derek Harper even talked about that he said uh the depth of the team is what we held our hat on we were very deep at every position they were also uh a, a rather versatile team like you said they had guys that could stretch the floor a little bit which again not common as in that era so the the positional versatility allowed them to kind of be dangerous um blackman that year so blackman made several all-star teams i think he made three or four i think it was like 85 86 um and then 88 and i think he made one more in 90. um but multi-time all-star that year though you had blackman and aguire make the all-star team dallas was tied for the fifth best record in the nba uh let's see what else did i have notes wise on this uh rick sun maps director of player personnel at the time referencing the year before had a good quote he said by losing the first round talking about again the year before it's either going to blow up in your face or it's going to be, hey, we're going to have a hell of a year next year. Basically just had to see. Um, and they talked about how they could have had residual uh, scar tissue and everything from it. But because they had a strong nine man rotation and a lot of that positional versatility I referenced, 
they basically were a team that you didn't really want to come up against. Like if they had their head on right, like if they responded in the postseason, because it's one thing to in the regular season to kind of bounce back, but it's another once you get to where the games mean more suddenly. And once they got back to that stage, they proved themselves like pretty handily. If beating Houston in that first round didn't drive home the point that they were for real, I think dispatching Denver, who had home court in that series in six games, certainly got attention because that was that was a good Denver team for sure. Um, but yeah, your your team is loaded now in this series. LA had more more firepower. Their offensive rating was phenomenal in the in this series. Dallas's kind of strength here was was rebounding and. Uh, they, they had some grit like there was one game Dallas won where they beat them by like 15. I think that was 14 in game four. They beat them 118, 104. But the other Dallas wins 106, 94 and 105, 103. Like they were close, whereas L.A., if they got past Dallas, they always were by double digit. The closest Dallas mm -hmm. had um, the closest Dallas was, it looks like in any of these games was about 15 points. So like they're close, they're there. Like I said, game seven, they are down, I think, eight going into the fourth quarter. It, it just L.A. kind of slowly it's stepped away LA. from them and grew out of their reach. Yeah. So it's it's crazy looking back at this. But you you have this phenomenal scoring. Aguirre was eighth in the league that year with 25 points a game. Um, Harper averaged 17. Perkins averaged 14 and eight. Tarpley, we already said six man of the year, 13 and a half points. Seventh in the league with 11.8 rebounds a game. Um, James Donaldson, he he almost averaged Donaldson, double double. Yeah. He he wasn't really never no offensive threat, but he was so daggone big. It was him and uh, freaking Mark Eaton were the two biggest dudes I've ever seen playing the NBA in my life, dog. They were like seven foot giants, and just his size just got in the way. Oh, Kevin Duckworth as well. Those guys were just like monsters when you went into the middle so just that that body size made mm -hmm. you think going in and they just made it difficult when he just put his hands up he made the shots difficult for everybody else and really yeah. i just like how perkins and tarpley played off each other because perkins not was only an inside player perkins had a three-point shot perkins could could shoot the three so you know that was something that he could offer in the game as well um so you know like you said Mark Aguirre, Orlando Blackman, that was like the two man. You had the really good shooting guard, then you had a small forward, and then you had the Derek Harper who could really control the team. So you had yep. all the elements to have a team that could win every year and could win championships every year. But it was almost like the Phoenix Suns or when they had uh, Barkley in them that year. You're thinking, man, they could have won a championship, but guess who was yep. in their way? Chicago yep. Bulls, you know what I'm saying? There was a certain team that was in their way from really doing what they wanted. And I feel like the Lakers were that team because if you didn't have those Lakers in the way, man, it could have been the Dallas Mavericks uh, playing for those final teams because they had everything you needed. Um, and as I said, the next year is when you had a Mark Aguirre. He eventually mm -hmm. gets traded. And then yep. Roy Tarpley has the drug issues and the suspension starts coming. And like I said, after it was almost like Dallas had everything to get it, and it took so much out of him. It just blew everything up. It was like the it was almost like man, the run is over because once yeah. Aguirre was gone and then Tarpley was done, it was like that's it. Yeah, no, I mean you lose your top score and you lose your sixth man of the year, and you're going to be hard pressed to to do anything. Uh, so in this in this series, I, I mentioned how LA's offensive efficiency was through the roof. So they were averaging 110 points per game, but it was on 55. Uh, north of 55% effective field goal percentage. That's an offensive rating of 124.6. Like that's ridiculous in that, in that series. Dallas was meanwhile averaging about 104 and a half points, 49% effective field goal. So their offensive rating was still serviceable, um, but not, not near as strong for the, the big difference here is when you look like player by player, like what their true shooting percentages and everything were, for LA, it's it's sizably stacked in their favor. Like Worthy was averaging 23.4 points. Then you had Byron Scott, 19.9, Magic 19, Kareem 15.4, AC Green 12.6. For Dallas, uh Aguirre had 24.7 points, and then Harper was 17, Blackman 16, etc. But like the true pr shooting percentage is what I want to call attention to because Worthy shot over 60% true shooting percentage. Every one of the Lakers was 
comfortably over 50%. Um, like their, their top six, seven guys in their rotation were comfortably over 50%. For the first Maverick in the, like if you rated all the best true shooting percentage for that entire series, either team, you wouldn't get to the first Maverick until the seventh name on the list. Like LA was just efficient in that series. So Dallas, Dallas was actually holding their own on the boards and they were limiting LA to shots. They were forcing them into a little bit more turnovers than they're used to. They had their moments, but LA was just very efficient. And again, the the pedigree and the experience they had, I think, is what shined through. You had the Mavericks in the locker room. I, I think it's uh, Derek Harper talking about it. They're down one at half in the locker room, and they're they're convinced they're winning it. They're convinced that they're going to, uh, I say, come back. They're down one, that they're going to get over the hump and punch their ticket to the finals for the first time. But it just doesn't quite happen. And we can look at the game seven thing and say like, ah, well, ride's over. And it, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, it was. But for me, the, the bigger moment for Dallas here, other than just making their first Western Conference Finals appearance in franchise history in general, is game six. Game six was the character moment for me. Yeah, exactly. 105-103. <clears throat> it's at reunion. Your season is on the line. You're down 3-2. LA just beat you in game five and your back is against the wall. LA is making a late charge. They get the ball. LA has the ball down two with about 10 seconds to play. Dallas has to get a stop from within three to four feet of the basket with five seconds to play, then has to go uh, make their free throws. So what ends up happening is they split. Dallas splits the free throw, so they extended it to three. Intentional foul on the inbounds pass, and LA makes the first they're going to have to intentionally miss the second and hope for a tip in and Dallas breaks up uh, the ricochet off the rim to prevent that. So that that's just a huge resilience thing for me. Like that's what I look at and say, like if you, if I'm looking for one moment to like really hang my hat on and say like, all right, I, I am damn proud of this team. That's it. Like getting the whole run is great, but that last little moment of defiance and then not going out with a whimper in game seven, I, I think is everything. That, that is a really cool thing. I actually wish I had been able to watch it at the time because it, it seems like it was a really special run for this team. I actually found some of the games, complete games from the, that Western Conference Finals like on YouTube and watched them mm -hmm. back in preparation for this. And a mm -hmm. uh, very, very exciting bunch to see from Dallas. It was pure basketball back then. You know, I'm sorry. You know, I, I don't hate on this new basketball in 2022. I love watching these young guys play, but I am a basketball purist, and that, that was pure basketball. I mean, it was good fundamental basketball, good defense. Um, but, um, you know, like I said, that squad, when you really just think about it, man, that, that was a really nice squad, and, and, and the way they did persevere, and they fought because that game went back and forth uh, because the Lakers were really trying to end it and put it away. They were trying; they were looking to uh, get to those finals, and that that's what their mind was on. So the resilience that the the Mavericks, I mean, the Mavericks kept on doing it, and every time the Lakers hit a big bucket, Mavericks hit a big bucket. Lakers, yeah. hit, you know what I mean? It was back and forth like all that. Uh, but one of the big things, the 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 way when you said the Lakers were so efficient, when you, you people don't really people say they appreciate Magic watching Magic Johnson. But unless you really watch Magic Johnson, DDP, Controlled like really watched him, you won't understand how good he was. That's why the Lakers had such great field goal percentage. That's why they were such an efficient team, because mm -hmm. Magic was such a dog. He could control the tempo. He knew when to stop. He knew when to go hard. And, you know, because even then, the Mavericks were not a fast break team. They were no. a type of, you know, walk the ball up, run their sets, run the offense and score in that half court set. Lakers get the ball. They were showtime. Lakers get the ball. Magic gets the ball. They run it. And he was just running that offense efficiently, but he knew when to stop it, set up the offense, and he knew when to push it and get that team going. And, I mean, he averaged, what, 19 points, 13 rebounds, I think. I mean, 13 yeah. assists, five rebounds in that series. And but he was just mad. Yeah. yeah. And he game was just master. He was phenomenal. Sorry, I, I didn't mean, mean to cut you off. No, no, no. It's just that's what he did. Like, that's what Magic did. I mean, I've seen him time and time again in game sixes and game sevens yep. that 
you know, you had the Kareem's, you had the Byron Scott's, you had the James Worthy's. But when it came down to it and they really needed it, it was Magic really doing it for them. And that's what yeah. happened. I mean, I, like I said, I remember that ball. I was watching that Boston game when he started his legendary, did that legendary um, sky hook over uh, Parrish and Mikhail and hit that. I was watching that game and I was just like, man, okay, this is why. To me, DDP, he's the best point guard alive. He's the greatest point guard, in my opinion, that I've ever seen in the NBA, period. I've seen a lot of great point guards, dog. But to me, Magic is the best just because of that size. I've never seen somebody that big be able to control the game and do what he did at that size. I, and, and that was back in the day, dog. Yeah. Now you got big, big guards now. But that yep. was back in the day. Nobody saw that, and the way he could dribble and do do what he did. I mean, it, it was it was that's he was the guy. That's why the Lakers won all those championships. on Magic Johnson, man, and he he saved them in, in, in that and that's Game Seven. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Derek Harper talking about that team. He said this is him talking about Game Seven specifically. He said, "I remember going to the locker room at half, and I said to myself, we 'We're going to win this game, and we're going to go to the finals because of the fact that we were close to them.'" All we had to do was come out there and seize the momentum to knock them off. That's exactly what I was thinking. But Magic's will to win that particular series was what came to the forefront for the Lakers that year. He just willed the team to victory is basically what happened. In Game 7, Magic Johnson had 24 points, 9 rebounds, and 11 assists. And a Game 7 triple-double in the Western Conference Finals is a pretty damn impressive thing. Now... You might look at that and say like, oh, 24, 9 and 11. Yeah, that's nice. That's not like stunning because like, again, everyone has like the, I, I guess, more inflated perception, like with guys like what Luca and everything and like modern uh, the game does. But the pace is is different in a lot of cases here. Like you said, Magic understood how to control the tempo, how to grind it down. And I, I think it's a different thing, especially got to consider he had five Hall of Famers on that team like he's he's got to get guys shots like you still got kareem who's still uh certainly very effective there he averaged 15 in the series um worthy is is a baller and for that's all great but yeah yeah byron scott like they they are absolutely stacked so in that moment the fact that they're still going to magic and he's delivering a strong basically triple double yeah that's that's the difference and that's what you know, reading through this, whether it was Derek Harper, Blackman, Perkins, whoever talking about this, that's kind of the common theme they go back to was magic is the difference. Magic was the difference there is just he kind of with everything on the line shifted into basically a mindset of like, I'm not losing this. Like, it's not happening. And so they they pull away. They beat Dallas by what was it? Uh, was beat like Dallas by 15. 15. Yeah, 117, 102 in game seven. Um, down one at the half, down seven going into the final frame. But LA shot 57.8% effective field goal. And that's that's it. Like the, the offensive rating gap between the teams in that game was over 17 points. <laughs> like they were lethal efficient and they just ground Dallas kind of into the dirt in the in the final frame with everything on the line. And that's uh, I guess that's how you break the break the team because L.A. very balanced in scoring. They got tw Dallas got 24 out of Aguirre. Uh Donaldson had 14 boards, but they they just didn't get the productivity they needed out of the, the team as a whole. And so it sputtered out and what could have still been a very strong team moving forward fell apart very quickly because Aguirre gets traded to Detroit, if I'm not right. mistaken. Yep. Um, they go on their little run. Yep, and then Tarpley has his issues uh, off the court, and so it, it guts the team. And that's that's a damn shame because the 90s were a dark, dark time for the Mavericks. Yeah, and I mean, like I said, it was almost like you've seen – we've seen it, DDP, time and time again in sports where you see a team that has that team. Uh, almost like when I look at the Sacramento Kings, remember when they had that squad with Weber and yep. Bloody Devox and yep. Bibby and them battling with That's, Dirk Nash and battling, Finley. Yeah, ba you know, battling, and you, that was the that was to me was a team that was one of those teams that was never should never should have won a championship that never did. I mm -hmm. think that was the Sacramento Kings because they had the squad, they had everything you wanted, um, and then once it was over, it was like boom, it was over, like it was gone. And yep. it would just seem like, uh, you know, that that series in particular, I think it, that was the series that devastated. Because you remember how you asked me in the very beginning, you know, how'd you feel about when they, they lost that upset uh, when they were the two seed? 
I felt, like I said, the Mavericks felt in their head that, you know what, that was more us than them. Um, mm-hmm. So let's come back and go hard because we know we're a better team like that, and they showed it. Um, but to go that far again and to lose, I think that just really devastated the team. It just really put – it just – it really thought that, uh, can we do this again? And like I said, it was beginning to end. Internal things started happening right after that. And, man, it was just like, wow, that game seven just – really destroyed the Mavericks for a long time, man. It was almost yeah. like a, a long hangover after that. It was like something that they kind of didn't forget. And when even if you probably go back and ask the Mavericks player, they'll always kind of go back to that. Well, man, that was one of those what could have been. Yeah. Um, you mentioned earlier uh, how different things could have been if Game 7 had been in Dallas. Uh, Rolando Blackman shares that sentiment. He said, after the fact, they didn't beat us at our house. I wish I sure wish game seven was at reunion arena instead of being at the forum. We were matched up. Well, we understood them. They understood us and it got to the seventh game and it was just very, very difficult and very, very tough as far as that's concerned. So yeah, Dallas, Dallas was uniquely suited to give LA all they wanted. I obviously in the talent department, LA had more firepower and maybe that's part of why it kind of helped break Dallas's spirit a little bit. Like you were talking about how, yeah, the Seattle upset the year before. That's that's on us. That's just us not doing what we needed to do, having our issues, whatever. This is a different thing. You can overcome your preparation and your focus, but when you're running into a team that stacked and it's like running into a buzzsaw, especially a team that has beaten you in the playoffs three out of the last five years already, that's different. At some point, it becomes demoralizing. So to get to that point, Okay, here we are. First time Western Conference Finals. We're going to finally slay the dragon. And then you match up with them and you go toe for toe, pound for pound. You erase a 0-2 deficit like that. You lose game five, no sweat. You go and you fight and dig in in game six and you pull out a two-point win at home to keep your season alive. Then you find yourself at the half down one, going into the final frame, single digits. All right, lost some ground, whatever. We can make that up like right there right at the cusp and then you just have to watch possession after possession in that fourth quarter as magic johnson snatches your soul and breaks your spirit as la just pushes that lead a little more a little more a little more a little more and then before you know it your season's up and your core falls apart within a year like that's that has to be demoralizing that is like everything came together this was finally supposed to be the moment and they still put us in the dirt when push came to shove. Like I said, like I said, bro, um, I was one of those, what could have been like, it just, that was when I look at a lot of the Mavericks teams that they had in history, Mm -hmm. that was one of their best teams in my opinion. If even when, even when you look at the, the team that went, won the finals, um, in Mm -hmm. 2011, Dallas had us, that squad could bang with any team because they had it. It was modern day now. They had a modern day point guard that could drive and shoot. He was a big guard. He was 6'4". Mm-hmm. You had a Rolando Blackman who was like a 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, shooting guard, could do multiple things. Mark Aguirre, a little undersized, but he could get boards. He could do a lot of things. Sam Perkins, 6'10", could play inside, play outside. You had a true big man, but you could probably take him out. You could play a small ball with a deadlift shrimp, Roy Tarpley, and a Sam Perkins. Like You could, you could mix and match how you wanted to do it so i think that team can still play modern ball right now um, because of how they still had the team constructed so it was it was it was it was just like i said one of those rare teams that what could have been what could have been yeah like you said that's the case with uh so many mavericks teams over the years and i, I have a feeling we're gonna talk about probably each of those teams frankly uh at some point with this segment like I, I definitely want to revisit the uh, well, we'll talk about the three J's. That's not a team that was a could have been. I don't know that that team ever had it there. That's the team that just never was. That was the team that had the hype, had the the intrigue and the potential, but never did anything. Uh, for me, the the what could have been is like the 0203 Mavericks goes to the West Finals with Dirk Nash and Finley. But in game one, Dirk sprains his MCL and never is able to return. Dallas still pushes the eventual champion Spurs to six. Like, you think about that. If you just have Dirk in that series, Dallas wins the championship because they. I'm pretty sure San Antonio swept Jason Kidd's Nets in the finals. Like, 
it was that that was it. It was done. It was over if Dirk is available or if Dirk is able to return. And that actually ended up being the the dividing line between Donnie Nelson, excuse me, Don Nelson and uh Mark Cuban at the time. Now the actual divorce would still be a couple of years later, but that mm-hmm. was that was the irretrievable moment. I don't think Cuban for a long time let go of his frustration with that because he watched the team then regress the next couple of years and he knew like we had it we were there dirk wanted to play dirk said he was good the team trainers were saying he was ready but don nelson said no you don't risk a guy like dirk you don't risk his future and now cuban would agree but at the time cuban didn't see that so that is a phenomenal what if team um another one that that's interesting uh is the 2007 maps you know of course everyone wants to point to 2006 and understandably so but i think honestly 2007 might be more interesting if they don't run into coincidence don nelson and just the absolute perfect frankenstein monster of a mismatch like stylistic mismatch in those mm-hmm. warriors that we believe warriors nobody's beating dallas that year nobody's touching dallas that year i truly believe that i think they would have cakewalked to a championship were it not for the one card that they pulled only because the Lakers on like, or sorry, the, the Warriors on like the second to last day of the regular season slipped into the playoffs as the eight seed, just brutal misfortune there. And of course being Donnie, uh, I keep saying Donnie being Don Nelson, <laughs> you had, uh, you had the person who knew Dirk inside and out better than anyone and knew exactly how to bother him. Not just the fact that they were already a small ball before small ball was really in vogue, but exactly what Dirk liked to do, what his tendencies were, when to send pressure, how to bother him, how to get into his head. And they took an MVP Dirk uh, and reduced him to kind of like, kind of mid. Like Dirk only had like one special game that that series. And that's unbelievable for a for an MVP that year. You know what I mean? Like, but I think that team seriously, if not for drawing the Warriors, I think that is that is the redemption tour the very next year. And it's not even a redemption tour at that point. It's the revenge tour for 2006. So a lot of, a lot of interesting stuff there. We'll, we'll dig into more of those down the road, I'm sure. But I, I enjoyed this segment. It was, it was cool doing uh, the, the research and the deep dive and all that, looking back through some of the guys and their quotes, talking about the series, kind of reflecting back on it, watching some of the old footage. It's a, it's nostalgic, even though I wasn't. It's weird to say that because I didn't even watch it at the time, but like it's got a very nostalgic feel about it. Like I love watching um, the 2006 Mavs Spurs second round series. Uh, phenomenal watching Dirk and Duncan both in their primes duel the way they did. Yeah, man. And, and here's the thing. The reason why I like this is because Dallas had a lot of squads, man. It ain't like Dallas ain't had no talent. Like, if you go through the history of the Dallas Mavericks, dog, they done had some players. It's just a shame that they haven't had more championships. You know, with the with the mm-hmm. amount of players that have put, went through this Mavericks squad, we even stay with the Dallas Cowboys, with the amount of good players that went through this Mavericks roster since the 90s has been ridiculous. Dallas yep. done had some guys on their team some guys and just haven't made it man so it's uh the more we do this it's going to be more exciting because there's a lot of different teams that we can go through besides this 88 team and say man you remember this team you were talking about jimmy jackson the jamal mashburn the jason kidd i mean there's so many different players that have played with the mavericks that have been really good throughout their careers that they had to stay in mavericks and you're like hmm I wonder what could have happened. Shout out to everybody in the chat, too. Uh, so keep on staying with us because we're going to delve into some more good Mavericks teams that you'll probably be surprised. Like, oh, yeah, I remember that Mavericks team. Yeah, we're going to be talking about them, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's do this real quick before we wrap this up. Uh, let's give let's give the people in the chat a vote on who they want us to cover next. Like, which, if we're staying on the theme of Mavericks and it makes sense because it's their offseason, there's really nothing to dig into for them of substance right now uh let's uh let's throw out a couple options and let the people in the chat vote what team we want to cover uh do we want to go with the 2002 2003 mavericks that being the the west finals appearance against the spurs dirt goes down with the mcl the nelson and cuban divorce essentially starts at that point or do we want to talk 
2007 or hell let's go with a uh, dark days that should have been brighter let's talk three j's let us know hit up in the comments uh first one all right i know which one i want to do yeah yep Nash Finley. I, I think we had a yeah 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 d-town text g super chat appreciate you man that's respect too we were we were uh debating him a little fiercely last week he came back and he was just all good man appreciate that what's up payback quarter what's up yeah next team for the next episode i personally want the three j's but i'll do whatever but i i've yeah. been forever intrigued with that team that was a team that just it just frustrates me that they weren't mature enough they couldn't make that right uh because that That's was one of the phenomenal ultimate. drama like you got tony braxton in that shit man i mean you got so much stuff in that because like i said i remember watching those things i remember watching that one game they played the bulls and jimmy jackson and jamal mashburn both went nuts that game they both dropped like 40 in that game or something like that they were both just one where it taking each turn just just coming back killing them and i was just like man this Mavericks team can be really good and then then you started hearing that stuff and i'm like yep mm-hmm. it's over because these dudes are too young to be able to deal with this this is just young gonna and mess immature up. yeah yep. very, not, very not, ego heavy. they don't have and they don't have a veteran on that team sit there and tell them hey stop that cut that out y'all need to do be better than this uh because yeah. we're trying to they win also, a championship Right, and they also didn't have a coach that they respected and who could right. handle them. That that right. was, it, it was just not a good environment for, like they had the pieces, but you had to have the right guy steering the ship, and they yeah, didn't have that. Right the, and you had a need, you needed veterans in that locker room. Yep, agreed. Uh, yeah. So we got a couple votes for the two thousand two two thousand three Mavs. So I'm not seeing any other comments rolling in with a vote on that. We can uh, we can roll that. Um, We'll talk, we'll talk those Mavericks. The I think full throttle Mavericks is their whatever branding at the time was called. Uh, you know, like Texas has their all gas, no brakes. Uh, Mavericks at the time called themselves full throttle. Um, and that that was right after the rebrand because it was the 2001 2002 season was the first year, I think, where they had the current branding. So, yeah, that that fits new era makes sense to go with Dirk Nash Finley. I do want to talk three J's, um, but we'll, we'll save that for, I guess the following week and uh, we'll go from there, but yeah. So next week, throw, throwback throwdown. We're going to run it back with the full throttle 2002, 2003 Mavericks matching up in the Western conference finals against Tim Duncan, David Robinson. Hey, for Maverick fans reference, Avery Johnson and point guard, uh, Steve Kerr, all kinds all kinds of guys there for san antonio i I have to look back they had a a six man other than kerr that was killing us with some threes as well but kerr will be you will curse his name in this series man unbelievable Uh, but that'll be fun painful but fun yeah it'll be painful fun you know what's so crazy about it is i remember we get to talk nick van axel oh Oh, yes nick van axel the best one-year wonder for, for dallas he, Nick he was done quick. after Dallas. Yeah. Uh, Nick Nick the Quick. And, you know, the thing I loved really about, um, you know, first Nick Van Exel is that, uh, you know, I saw him at Cincinnati. Like, I, that's what this is when I watched heavily watched college football, heavily watched college basketball because everybody wasn't leaving early. People were mm-hmm. staying in school, things of that nature. But one thing about Steve Kerr, I, he always had that shot because I remember him at Arizona. And every time he shot a three-pointer and made it, they were like, Steve Kerr. They said yeah. it every time he shot a three, dog. And that's when you're the man. Every time you shoot a three, they're like, Steve Kerr. So, yeah, yeah. he's he, he been doing that for a long time, killing folks with that three. Yep, for sure. Yeah. Uh, oh, man, I'm so excited to talk about uh, Steve Kerr. Or not Steve Kerr. Motherfucker. <laughs> so excited to talk about uh, Nick Van Axel now. Yeah, Nick, Nick was a fantastic player, you know, with the Lakers and uh, all that previously. But... He had one last good run there uh, with the Mavericks. And then I think after 
he was let go in that offseason. I think they traded him to Golden State or something like that. And it, the magic was kind of over at that point. But the Golden State also wasn't in a position to really give him that platform by then. But mm. yeah, I've never actually gotten to write or talk about Van Exel, surprisingly. And that's that's a shame because that is one of my nostalgic favorite Mavericks ever just because he came up so huge in that in that entire playoff run, really. Like, But especially that series. They were Nash didn't have a good series there. Not to put the cart before the horse as we already talk about it, but Nash did not have a great series. Van Exel was huge for Dallas against San Antonio. So I'm gonna have fun digging into this one. Looking forward to it. Yeah, definitely. And one thing, one last thing on Van Exel was very underrated in his whole NBA career. Cause when you say that he was a dog in those playoffs and what he played and how he played that whole season, he did that everywhere he went. He was a big money player. Like he, he lived to hit the big shot. He was not scared of the big shot. He was not scared to take over. He, he had supreme confidence. His handles were ridiculous. And I believe he was left-handed. Um, yep. So, you know, you couldn't really touch him, dog. Nick Van Exel was nice. I mean, cause everybody, really remember remember him with the lakers bro because man nick van exel he was a dog in the nba for sure yeah i always thought of him as a jet before jet for the mavericks yeah. like yep. yep both wore 31 i believe um yeah and he had the he always had the tall socks as well jet did that as well mm-hmm. so all mm-hmm. i think all he was missing was the headband other than that he would have jason terry basically lifted his look but uh yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, this was uh this was a good show. This was this was fun. This is exactly what I was wanting for the the throwback throwdown was kind of the trip down memory lane, chance to dig into this and talk a little bit about these interesting uh interesting teams, interesting seasons. I, I see in the comments people are bringing up specific series. That might be something to look into in the future like not just like the entire playoff run, but like really buckling down like on that 06 Mavs Spurs series or the 0203 Mavs Sacramento series like you were talking about that Sacramento team that that would be worth digging into as well mm-hmm, mm-hmm. cool yeah, definitely gonna definitely gonna talk about it so make sure you go ahead continue like and support we appreciate everybody was here in the building and everybody was in the chat continue to do that because we'll continue to do more breakdowns as we get closer and closer to the season on both fronts appreciate you guys salute and peace